five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everybody, to episode 85 of the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining him as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, the landscape for the Leafs continues to take several turns and twists. Has the Toronto faithful holding its collective breath? <laughs> the other night was no exception, and here we got a rookie goalie going again tonight. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a good move. I, I honestly believe that you give him three games in a row, right up until uh, about well, not even 48 hours before the trade deadline, I mean, we'll see if this guy is legit NHL goaltender or, you know, maybe he's not. And, you know, I mean, I think you can see that in three games, especially with the teams they're playing. They're playing a good team in Carolina and then Nashville on Saturday. So, you know, they're playing two good teams. And and I think that'll give them a real good read on whether or not this guy can be the next Jordan Bennington or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. hey, put it this way. It couldn't be any worse than what they had before where they gave up four goals or more in I don't know how many games in a row. It was incredible. And then this guy, this kid goes in and, and has a shutout in his first outing. Well, and by the way, everybody, just in case you're wondering, we're actually adding a little bit to the show here because we've got a two-parter coming up with today's guest we should mention is uh, Dale Talon, who you're picking up. And as you're opening this up on Friday, we're recording this on Thursday uh, pre the game against uh, Carolina. So we'll have comments on that next week on our Leafs show. But in the meantime, we're just going to add a little bit. Of course, and with the trade deadline a couple of days away, we thought we'd get a few of our comments in on this week's uh, podcast as well. So... Yeah, I mean, he's just saying, Squid, one game is obviously not enough, but uh, Shalgren certainly gave the club a boost in goal they desperately needed the other night. He got some good fortune, few pucks dropped his way. The defense was a little bit more responsible, I thought, and that's one of the things that's really been hammering at you or that's been really not at you recently with the way the forwards have not been really helping as they should be. Yeah, and I thought they did a great job, or a lot better job of doing that uh, the last game, and uh, giving this kid a little bit more protection back there by go- coming back deeper into the zone. I didn't see a whole lot of guys taken off when the when they got the fence got control of the puck. Uh, better defensive posture, and they 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 hung in there and 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 didn't allow that many great opportunities for Dallas. I didn't think. I mean, they had a few, and Shalgren had to make some big saves, but they didn't have a ton of quality scoring chances because they played a better defensive game. Yeah. And the forwards as a result of that, it, I mean, it helped because it helped not only in their own end because the team had a little more jump. They played a more responsible in their end as we've just touched on, but also they made smarter decisions with the puck. And I mean, this is a team that's been near the top of the standings all year. So it sounds pretty funny to be criticizing them like this and actually plotting them for what they're doing. They've been doing, they've been getting away with some of the things they shouldn't have been earlier in the year and vice versa. So it's catching up now as things get a little tighter. But I think we both agree that, you know, as an example, the other night the game is 2 nothing going to the third period. Well, we, I think you and I both talked out there. It could have been 3 nothing at the end or is it going to be going in overtime? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that, they've been doing a lot of that lately before, exactly. before so that, that game. And, and you know, uh, it's not a good thing to see when you're, you're coming down to the last home stretch and then getting ready for the playoffs. So, I mean, playing a lot better defensively like they did is probably something they should really dig into in the video and look at and say, oh, guys, if we're going to win, this is the way we need to play. The offense will come. You know, we'll get power play opportunities. We'll get probably better breaks out of our own zone by doing this and therefore enter the offensive zone with a little more speed and maybe create two-on-ones, three-on-twos that way. Well, and the other thing to be going to add to all this is uh, on the goaltending, if I were on that, because, you know, with three days before the trade deadline, everybody's hoping they may do something, but they may not be. This may be what we're dealing with moving after Monday at uh, 3 o'clock. But Campbell's due back next week. Nothing official yet. I don't even know if he's on the ice as as of this as we're speaking today. Uh, as, uh, hopefully, he's if he's isn't a one-game wonder, Shalgren, the juggling's going to begin. And Mrazic, we may learn. Maybe that undisclosed injury, LTIR, shows up, or maybe he ends up on Robodai Island. <laughs> well, okay, there's a lot of options. <laughs> there's a lot of options, Greg, yeah. Well, I, I would mean, say if this kid plays the way he played the first game in the next two games, which I would play him in the next two games, yeah. well, then you try to move Mrazic for, for a defenseman or put him in a package that gets you a defenseman. With uh, Sherrod going to Florida, uh, Manson going to, where did he go to? Colorado. Colorado. Uh, you know, these teams that are already real good are loading up. And, you know, maybe that maybe if this kid, you know, plays well tonight and can play Saturday and, and come out with another good, outing then you know what you say hey we got a kid that, that's pretty darn good here we can move this guy well and another name don't forget is that uh Kling, Klingberg, Klingberg the uh Dallas defenseman since Dallas is so close now apparently he's been taken off the market yeah. even though he is a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year so there's as we talked about a few weeks ago as it gets closer to the trade deadline the price of poker keeps going up as the players sort of just you know fade away or they get pulled back or they get moved. And we're seeing that pure evidence of that as we're speaking today. So keeping all that in mind, the recent developments that we know the problems they have in goal. The next time we speak on our Leaf show, which is weekly at Wednesday, Wednesday at 6, folks, 6 p.m., folks, by the way, so tune into that. Will the Leafs look a whole lot different, a little, a little different, or what we're looking at right now in your opinion? Yeah, you know, it's very hard to say at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean – you know, it, it, it's not going to be easy for them with, with where they are in the cap world and everything else. But at the same time, I mean, moving out some pieces and bringing in other pieces that you think are a little bit better might happen. But i, I got to be honest, I, I I really don't know, Mike. I, I just, yeah. you know, I mean, with, with the situation they're in, and I mean, they have a lot of good young prospects that they could move on they had that first round pick they could move on and and bring in some help but i'm not so sure that they're ready to do that right now i i think they believe that this team is capable of winning in the playoffs and i'm not sure that anything's going to be done 
Boy, I, I as we've talked about on our show, I, I don't think this team is built to win, and I don't think that's an overstretched statement. I think a lot of people would agree with that. There's just too many holes, holes up front. Uh, as we saw, there's a few things that have to be plugged up. The core is there, but I yeah. think there's some holes that have to be filled, and I, I just don't know where they're going to turn to do that because with the cap space, unless you move an asset – Somebody's going to have to go. And Marazic, it's easy to talk about that moving him because that 3.2 or whatever it is, like 3.2 or 3.3 he's making, that's a big number when you're trying to move some at this time of the year. Well, and there's not a whole lot of teams in the league looking for a goalie that's kind of a backup or a tandem-type goalie like Marazic. I mean, maybe Edmonton could be a team that you could be looking at and say, well, there but then again – what are you going to get out of Edmonton? You're not going to get much out of there. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of directions that they can go in in order to shore up that D. And, and boy, oh, boy, I'll tell you, it's kind of frustrating to watch because you just don't know what the heck's going to happen. But, you know, as, as Dale said when we talked to him, how do you build a team? Well, you build it down the middle, goaltending, defense, center. And then you fill in on the wings with guys that can score goals. Well, okay, well, they haven't done that. They've gone with guys that can score goals. And, yeah, their they're centermen are, are fine. But when you look at goaltending, defense, center, well, that becomes an issue. And by the way, Squid, as you know, goal that starting goaltender, that stud defenseman, and that strong guy down the middle, you can't trade for those guys usually. They have to, you have to draft mm-hmm. them those players and that's Leafs have a couple of them if you want to use Morgan Riley as one and Nathan Matthews is the other but in goal there's sort of the weak link right there and uh, the only way I see them doing anything at this point is if there's a parked player with Seattle as an example who has a lot of cap space the you know Arizona is obviously going to be another mm-hmm. player from that standpoint but you're going to have to give up to get that room to do something so it could be very costly for a rental well, when when you look at what uh, Florida paid for Chirac, I yeah. mean, that's what the going rate is going to be for a rental defenseman. Absolutely, and that's be, a lot. It's going to be a good prospect, which they gave up a, a player they picked in the first round. Uh, they gave up a first rounder in 23, which is going to be a pretty good draft. And then they gave up, a, what was it, a fourth rounder in this year's draft or something. So – you know, that's a lot. And uh, if that's what you're looking at for a rental defenseman, I'm not sure that's a good idea. Well, for a player, may play 26 games for you. So you get beat in the first round. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then he's gone. And he's gone. <laughs> so that, again, is we've talked about that. It's the price of poker. So, and again, you know, Cal Dubas is not a stupid guy. So he's figured all this out. And I know he listens to us all the time. But, you know, that's probably why they're in the trouble they are. But besides all of that... I'd have to say, let's talk about the other guy who has been missing for the line the last couple of days. And even though they have a winning record, the Austin Matthews, everybody's talked about whether it was right or wrong or all that sort of stuff. He hit him in the head. He deserved a suspension. He got it. It's put aside. But my thought to you going forward and having been in this position, it's almost like, um, I don't know, the roses come off to bloom a little bit for the fact that he now can be goaded into responding. So we're gonna. So this could maybe even get him more attention from the pests, and and you know the 
you know, the flies that are out there centering and targeting him because he's been percolating the last couple of weeks mm -hmm. to explode. You saw what happened the other day. So you know where I'm going with this. Is yep. he, you having gone through all this yourself and some of, feeling some of the pain a bit in your older years now, as much as I hate to say that, <laughs> even though I got you by a couple of years. What advice would you give to Austin coming back? Because he's definitely going to be even more of a target, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely think that teams coming in to play to Toronto or playing them at home, whatever the case might be, they're going to they're gonna look at him and they're going to say, okay, we got to play this guy really, really hard because he'll lose his temper and he'll do something that typically he doesn't do. And, and not only that, we got to key on him because we've got to keep him off the score sheet if we want to win him. Which is obvious, yes. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, this guy can, uh, is an elite goal scorer. Um, but, I mean, hey, if, if, you know, if he's losing his temper like that, yeah, I would say a lot of teams are going to go, okay, get under his skin as much as you can and see if we can get him off his game. And so, you know, my advice to him would be just relax. Just go out and play your game and don't worry about – getting hit. I mean, everybody gets hit, especially the best players in, in the game. And you're going to get that. You're going to get attention. Just let it go and go about your business, score your goals, help your team win and stay out of the box. That's probably the best way to do it because, you know, it's going to be very tough because, you know, every forward defenseman, probably even the goalies are going to chip at him every time yep. he can get a chance and he's going to get it and I think it's going to be even worse and, this, talking, isn't even, and this isn't even the playoffs yet Mike <laughs> and, and it's not even the playoffs you're absolutely right which is very very important why this power play stays at the top of the heap as it is because if you're going to take a shot at him and he's not going to respond you're going to pay for it where you're sitting watching yeah absolutely and uh, you know it's just kind of like you got to keep your cool uh, under those conditions. And, you know, it wasn't like somebody two-handed them across the head or something like that. It wasn't really vicious or anything. And when that happens, you got, I think it built up from the game before that against Arizona yeah. yes. where, you know, that, that quick stick hold in the neutral zone where I think he tried to sell it by going backwards and therefore wasn't able to catch up the chicken and take away that passing lane, where if he had to just kept going, probably could have stayed with him. But anyway, that, I mean, it is what it is. I know he was quite upset after that play, and that probably carried over to, to the game in Hamilton. Well, and don't forget, he plastered Darlene against the boards coming back into the Buffalo zone, and then Darlene responded, re retaliated to him in front of the net a couple of times. So that mm -hmm. kind of precipitated the whole thing. But now having said that, the other key part of all this, I think, is that second line, which we've talked about endlessly all year. My concern is we got to get – you saw John Tavares play a little more like himself the other night with two real wingers. And, you know, let's mm -hmm. be real critical about it. He's not been getting that support on the second line. Got to toughen that lineup and give him some protection and protection from the fact that he's not having to do all the heavy lifting because that's what he's been doing. And he's getting pounded and we've got to keep him fit so he can keep going. Like he, he can't be doing all of that. He needs the puck in his hands to make plays. He can't be going chasing pucks down every shift while his winger, and we don't want to pick on the guy, number 88, is standing at the top of the red circle waiting for a pass. 
Yeah, I mean, well, what happens now when Matthews comes back? Uh, it depends on tonight's game, but if that line performs the way they did the last game, Tavares, uh, Marner, and Bunting, they, you got to look at that and say, well, do we stay with that and maybe build another line around Matthews? I mean, that, that's a possibility, too. I don't know. I The way that line was playing, I would assume they'll go back to Matthews, Marner, and Bunting, but given the way Tavares performed the last game, you might want to reconsider that and think, well, geez, what if we build a little bit of around Matthews on another line? Then, then we have two really good lines. Well, because the fact is you can't hide an Islander anymore because, you know, wherever you're going to play him, his, his soft game is going to always be there. Whereas with Matthews, maybe to your point, Matthews is, well, probably the number one player in the NHL for mm-hmm. pucks and going after pucks in the other end. He's, he's the John Tavares of eight years ago. So yeah. the fact is, maybe that's not such a bad idea and put Cashy on one side and, and uh, keep Nylander on the other side. And you know what? And let Because Matthews can play with anybody, I think. Yeah, I think he can. I mean, I don't think uh, who he plays with is an issue. I don't think uh, he's going to play, score any less goals or, or you know, because he's still going to get that power play time as well. And that power play is going at about a 28, 29% rate, which is unheard of in the National Hockey League. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not worried about him. I mean, I think whoever you put him with, he's gonna he's gonna make them better. No There's question. no question. Well, it's all in the hands of the hockey gods, uh, Squid and the players. First, <laughs> you have to be responsible. Uh, I think it's time they've heard enough of us for now. So, I think what we want to do is we want to turn it over to today's guest, uh, Dale Town. You're really gonna enjoy this one. Real good guy. So, have yeah, fun. yeah, great guy, great person, and a pretty good general manager too. I would say so, and have a listen, and he'll listen to how he got to that stage of his career. Welcome, everyone. First off, before we get started, we're having a few little technical problems. When you get to be the old guys like me and Squid, there are times when uh, these things become a little bit challenging, and my uh, winger's having some issues today. But anyway, you want to welcome him to episode 85 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, in case you didn't realize that after me speaking so long so far. And joining me as always, my winger is Ricky Squid Vibes. Squid? How are we doing? Talking through a phone and a microphone. What technology we have uh, going here? I don't know. I think I got the microphone working now. Do I? Well, keep going. Oh yeah, I think I got it working. No, you know that's coming through the uh, that's coming oh, through okay. the phone. My bad. All right. Well, anyway, so outside of that, you're doing not too bad. Well, listen, we're not gonna waste a whole lot of time on that today. Our guest today has a resume that would probably take the whole hour, so we're not gonna do that to him. Uh, but he played with the Oshawa Generals, was traded in one of the off-seasons for five players to the Toronto Marbles, including two buddies of mine were involved in that trade. Uh, taken second overall by the Vancouver Canucks in their initial season in 1970. Would spend most of his career in Chicago with the Hawks. Spent 16 seasons as an analyst with the Hawks on radio and TV broadcast. Joined the Hawks as a director of player personnel. Replaced legendary Bob Pulford as GM in 2005. Technically win his first cup in 2010. Moved to the Florida Panthers, where he has helped lay the foundation for what we're witnessing today, one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. And as a kicker, as a professional golfer. Please welcome, after that long introduction, it's actually not everything either, Dale Talon. Dale, first off, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I'll send you the check tomorrow. <laughs> now, sir, how are you keeping busy these days? Uh, playing a little golf, you know, uh, doing a little boating, doing a little traveling, uh, getting to... Getting on my wife again and uh, getting to, you know, spend time with my family and 
just doing a little bit of nothing and watching a little hockey and just enjoying life, really. Now you're still in Florida? Yes, I am. Yeah. Can't beat it. Yeah, I'm heading Taxes down there. In a, weather. I'm heading down there in a few weeks. Too. We have a place in Sarasota, so I'll be down there. Great. Squid? Nice. Well, you're welcome, Squid. You know, you, Squid, you you're listen, you've been welcome. invited. Okay, go ahead, uh, Ricky. I got, I got some work coming up. I got a few hockey games, appearances now, now that we're opened up in Canada here, so... You know, uh, gotta take advantage of it. Yep, I tell you, Squid's one of my all-time favorite players. I don't know how he's still walking. The the abuse he took in front of the net, the cross checks to the back. No one stood in the front. And I think maybe he and Dino Cicerelli, probably the two big, and maybe the guy that played in Detroit. Uh, uh, you know, they they took a beating in front of the net when you had to take a beating to go in front of the net. And uh, I, I I got. A lot of a lot of uh, praise for Rick Vive and the way he played the game. Well, it was, uh, you know what? It was the only way to play the game back then. I mean, if you if you wanted to be successful, you wanted to score goals. How is your back? <laughs> uh, well, my my neck my neck is terrible. Yeah. My neck is like they played the game the way it was meant to be, Ricky. I should be proud. Good job. Well, I just wanted to say, by the way, I spoke to Dale Offair. We were mentioning that uh, him and I met years ago through a friend of ours, Billy Gardner, and I played when he was the pro at uh, Tamarack. And then I thanked him for the golf, but Dale had also generously given us tickets to old Kaminsky that night. And the Sox actually were a really good team at the time. It's a terrific game, and I hadn't thanked him, so I'm now publicly thanking him out for those tickets, Dale. So thank you again. Yeah, Kaminsky Park is uh, a special place. The new Sox Park is pretty nice, too, and they've got a good team. They had a great year last year, and it would be exciting to see them play when I get back up to Chicago this summer. I love baseball. Well, our Jays made a big acquisition today, Mark Chapman. So they're uh, really Yeah, that was, a good, that was a good pickup. Yeah. So that's going to be uh, quite exciting for us. Now, let's get back to where you just were a couple years ago, uh, the Panthers. They've come a long way in the 10 years, or actually almost 12 years since you've been there started. Mm -hmm. What do you think where they sit right today? I think they're a very good young team with a lot of potential and uh, – I think they're forwards. They have four great forward lines. They're really good up the middle. Uh, they're young up the middle, uh, but talented. Um, you know, they got good goaltending. Dobrowski's come, found his game again, and Spencer Knight's a real star of the future. And um, I think their D, Ekblad's having a Norris Trophy a year. Uh, you know, Weger and Forsland, they've got a good team. I think they're probably looking for something to shore up their D, like some of the teams are that are very offensive minded. Uh, but uh, they got a legitimate shot if they, if they do get that one piece. Squid? Now, one guy that you drafted that I would consider probably, if not the best, but one of the top uh, all-around centermen is Barkov. I mean, I, I love this kid. I When I watch him play, he's big, he uses his body, he's good defensively. Uh, but he can put the puck in the net and make plays as well. I, I think he's the best two-way centerman in the game. He's a very great. Uh, he, he, you know, he's a terrific player. Uh, he doesn't get the credit. Uh, I think as far as uh, I think he's a Hart Trophy candidate, but he doesn't get much mention there. But every year he's gotten a little bit better in all the aspects of the game, and now he's a little more selfish. He's starting to shoot the puck as well and starting to score some goals, but. He's a great young man. He's a great player and is a great franchise builder. You know, he, 
he, he's as good off the ice. No one's more dedicated than, than uh, Sasha is uh, training. And, uh, I mean, he's the ideal uh, captain and leader. He's a quiet leader, but he's got a great sense of humor, and he loves the game, and he loves to train. And, uh, you know, he, he gives it his all every night. He's very smart. Well, Dale, you've been around the game a long, long time. Is it because he's playing in a place like Florida that he doesn't get that recognition? Well, it probably has something to do with it. I don't think I don't even think the, the Panthers have a beat writer uh, in the last couple of years. <laughs> they don't. They don't have anybody following the team. Uh, neither one of the major papers here has a has a has a writer follow them. So, you know, they're not going to get the exposure. I mean, uh, this is uh, like coach of the year. I think that um, you know, uh, coach in Florida has done a great job. And, uh, you know, he, he might get a, the odd mention, but he should be mentioned in the, in the Coach of the Year uh, awards uh, situation as well. He's been great taking over from Q. Not uh, easy shoes to fill, but he's done a very good job of keeping them online and keeping them uh, motivated. Now, sitting back watching Dale, as you are today with this club, what is it now you, when you watch them? I mean, they haven't won yet, but they're obviously knocking on the door. What is it? you can take away you're most proud of from your time there building this club or helping build this club? Well, I think the character of the players, you know, they, uh, they're great people. And I can see that they, they really uh, get along well. And, you know, there's a lot of distraction in Florida. You got to be careful. You know, families are coming down to visit all during the holidays and always looking to come down now. And, and, and so it's, it's easy to get distracted, you know, so uh, you've got to really be focused and concentrated. And these players have, the, the core has played together now for a while and they're starting to get it. They're more mature physically and emotionally. And I think they're understanding what they need to do to, to stay focused, to, to keep winning. And uh, that, that's what I'm most proud of, the, the character of the people uh, that we brought in here. Well, I was also going to follow that up with, I mean, we know there's a pressure to win, but do you sense it's become a really win now? league as it is in most of sports as these teams are getting younger by the year and the level of play continues to get so much better yeah yeah, yeah i mean uh, there's not not a lot of patience anymore look where we're calling you uh, from they're very successful they're very wealthy and they're six they want to win right now and and that's that's their priority and and uh that's that's a good thing you know i mean it keeps you on your toes and you got to work hard and you know the they, they don't have a lot of patience, and that's why they were successful in business. So, uh, you know, it, like, it took Tampa a long time, and it's taken Florida a long time. And then all of a sudden, you know, look at what happened. You know, Chicago took a while, and they got to the top, and all of a sudden now, it, you know, doesn't, you can't stay up there very long with the, the new business plan here in the NHL with the cap. Well, speaking of that, I'm going to set you up squid here for this one on you, but um... – you know, it certainly makes it challenging, obviously, to build. And when it gets to the point when, you, to, when you're becoming relevant is usually the time you must make a big move or you try to make a big move to take it to that final stage, but are restrained because of you only have so many dollars to do this. So he and I, Squid and I were speaking about this last week, and it almost becomes unfair to, for teams to draft, develop, and then risk losing players as unrestricted free agents. What's your thoughts on all of that? Well, it's very difficult for the fan base, you know, especially in a place like Florida. It takes so so long to build up a base to get people interested and people involved and sell tickets and get the place rocking and show some profit, and and then all of a sudden uh, you know free agency at seven seven years like you know at twenty five age twenty five they're gone you know and 
it's hard for the fans to 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 uh, really build up a relationship with the player and you know it, it's different so you have to be adaptable and you have to really draft well and you got to be ready every five years to kind of turn things over and, and you better draft well and you better have a deep system uh, to to offset those players leaving for free agency it's great okay so i have the solution to that dale <laughs> okay now i think the, the the nhl should be looking at the other sports and baseball and football what if you were allowed to have a franchise player and tag whatever they do in the NFL and that, you know, 50 or 25% of his salary cap counted on the cap, but you had to have drafted and developed that player. You can't sign a free agent and put the, the uh, franchise tag on him. Well, it's an interesting conversation, you know, but, you know, there's so many different approaches and so many different opinions uh 32 general managers at those meetings we all have different opinions different discussions uh the board of governors has a different opinion so you know there there are a lot of good ideas uh but right now this is the plan you have and you have to work with what you have in the short window so uh you can't dream you can't think about things the way they should be or want them to be like i mean obviously chicago would have loved to have kept all those players uh, you know, they, they won the first cup in 2010 and they were at the cap. Well, that was an issue, you know, moving forward and you have to manipulate the cap so you can keep the team winning. And that's, that's the difficult, that's the biggest task in, in, involved now for all general managers. And that's why they have shut such a short tenure, uh, trying to make that work. It's, it's, uh, it's a difficult task. So let's go. Well, we're talking about the beginning and everybody and uh, the dreams and all that kind of stuff. So let's go back to the beginning for you, starting way back in Oranda, Quebec. Mm -hmm. You started playing hockey. You end up in OHA with Oshawa. How did it all come about ending up there? Well, they had the Universal Midget Draft, and I uh, we were involved in Northern Ontario, not Quebec. We were in Oranda. We were always involved with Kirkland Lake, New Lisker, all that. And, we, we, we were always signing with the Northern Ontario Hockey Association. So we were always involved in that. And then um, I uh, played juvenile hockey up in Rouen, Noranda with some good players and uh, had some good success. And then the midget draft came in and Oshawa uh, was in last place. So they, they had the first pick in the universal midget, midget draft. And I ended up going to Oshawa uh, through that midget draft. And then after a year in Oshawa, things weren't very good there. And uh, the Marlies made a trade. Uh, my dad was at the hot stove lounge uh, meeting a client there, and uh, next to him was Gus, was Gus Bodner and uh, Buck Cooley, and they were talking about trying to get me, and he, he overheard them. He turned around and said, well, let's make it work, and so I got traded to the Toronto Marlboros, and you know, it just happened that my dad had to be in the right place at the right time, and, uh, and I love playing, at, you know, going to Maple Leaf Gardens for lunch, watching the Leafs practice, practicing there every day. And uh, those are some of my favorite times uh, in hockey. Well, let's just say, by the way, that trade wasn't just any ordinary trade. You got traded for five players and a couple of pretty good <laughs> ones. Rick Kessel, who was actually a good buddy of mine, he's a, was actually one of the top scorers in the league. Bob Kelly, Tom Foxcroft, Chuck Giles, and the goalie Bobby Smith, who was the fifth throwing, and he was a very good goalie. Right. So you got traded well, for you know, good players. Scouting has improved since then. <laughs> <laughs> so... You played center for Oshawa and Toronto, but then Gus Bodner moved you back to defense. 
what was the reason for that? Now, was that a well? Problem? We had a slew of injuries, Mike. Um, yeah. All you know, all our D got hurt, and so Gus or um, Gus asked me if I could play D, and I said, "Yeah, my dad played D for Eddie Shore, and uh, taught me, you know, how to skate backwards and all that stuff, and played me uh, at that position as well." And so I said, "I'll go back there," and and uh, turned out that I got as many points playing there as I did as a forward. And then when I got drafted by Vancouver, they were totally confused and they didn't know where to play me. And I was pretty confused myself. So <laughs> why well, are we going to get told, into uh, that? One time that I'd help play anywhere to help the team. And he took me for my word. I played every position, my goal. Well, that, bring, that brings you to that big day that you got drafted. And it was a coin flip, I believe. And Montreal ended up, or Buffalo ended up in the first pick and you were second. Right. Did you feel any pressure going behind a guy like Gilbert Perrault? You know, yeah, well, you know, obviously Gilbert was the best player. And uh, the, the thing is, it was Marley's against the junior Canadians. We had a very good team and they had a very good team. And it's a team situation. And Gilbert and was the guy, obviously. And uh, I was flattered. I didn't think I'd go second or third even, you know, in, in that draft. And uh, Vancouver took me and, uh, you know, um, <laughs> um, that's what happens, you know. I went out west. They, I th they thought that they were going to get maybe Perot and then Reggie Leach, and uh, but anyway, it, uh, I went to Vancouver and uh, had three years there, and some good and some not so good. But um, uh, I met some great people out there: Orlan Curtinback, Pat Quinn, Andre Boudreaux, Gary Doak, all these guys that I played with took good care of me. And, uh, you know, it was quite an experience uh, well, playing in the NHL with those guys. Well, your last year, you you had a big breakout year in 69-70. Were you just a little more relaxed playing in that year? Because it just seemed like everything just went exponentially so much better. Your goals, assists, penalty minutes, everything. And then secondly on that, what kind of chatter were you hearing with the draft coming up, expansion draft? You thought you maybe had gone third or fourth, so – what were you here? Is that where you were hearing your place? Maybe well, I didn't hear much. You know, I was uh, most of that summer. I was up at the R. Walton Sports Camp, uh, mm -hmm. you know, teaching little brats how to skate and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, getting having some fun with Shaky and and Bobby and the. So I didn't hear much. You know, I I knew that I was going to go somewhere in the top ten, but I didn't expect to go second. And then when I was picked to go second. Uh, uh, you know, it's quite a thrill. And then I went to Vancouver and, you know, things didn't quite work out the way everyone wanted it to go. And uh, I got traded to the Blackhawks after Team Canada because of my relationship with Dennis Hall. And, uh, and uh, you know, those guys uh, made it available for me to go to Chicago when the WHA came along. So well, that was a, a, a bonus for me. Don't feel too bad. You're not the only high draft pick that Canucks got rid of before, <laughs> before yeah, you yeah. get a chance to develop. Yeah, they hey, drafted a lot of guys like you and I. Hey, you lasted three years, Dale. Squid lasted three months. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, it was fine. Yeah. All right. Well, it was it's a story fit better with three months, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, let me ask you. Here's the, Remember the movie Moneyball? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask. I'm making this one up as we're going along here. Here's a money ball question from Billy Bean. That 20 year old draft, and you got taken by Vancouver, 18 year old draft today. Do you think you'd have been taken as high in today's 18 year old draft as you did? No, no, not at all. I mean, I like as I said, every year I got a little bit better, you know. And at 18, 19, I probably wouldn't have got drafted. <laughs> I, you know, um, I play, played uh, okay. And then the third year, I was nine, you know, I 
I was a little bit of a later bloomer, you know, and uh, I yeah. think they should go back to it myself personally. But uh, yeah, definitely. That's a great, great question. I, I probably wouldn't have been drafted very high after the second year. Uh, but the third year, I started to grow and develop and get stronger mentally and physically and and uh, put some good numbers up as a forward and as a defenseman. So, And the, we had a good team. So the team won. We went, got beat in the finals of the seventh game in the Montreal Forum in front of 19,000 people there when uh, they came to see Durbano fight um, um, the uh, Globinski in, in the Montreal Forum and that the biggest crowd in history there. And, uh, but we had a great team, Mike Murphy, Steve Shutt, you know, uh, Steve Vickers, go down the line. Um, we had a really good team. Uh, we didn't have the greatest goaltender in the world, but that was the difference. But, you know, when you're playing a good team, you're going to get looked at. And when you go deep in the playoffs, but uh, I was a good team player, and Gilbert could do it on his own. He didn't need anybody. That's how great he was. Yeah. So I was flattered to go in the same, you know, same conversation as Gilbert, but I didn't have the same ability. So you mentioned should go back to the 20-year-old draft, and I I probably couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you see a lot of these 18-year-olds coming in, they end up in the minors or, or, you know, even the East Coast League at 19, 20 years old because they haven't had that time to develop in junior. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's tough, you know, like it's tough scouting a 17 year old turning 18. There's so many things that can happen, you know, uh, emotionally, physically, uh, girl spurts, uh, you know, breakup with a girlfriend, uh, yeah. uh, living, tough living situations, billets, not, not comfortable with the billets, a bad team, you know, bad coaching junior. So the, the things that that's what makes it so difficult for scouts, you know, they got to really work hard. At these, you know, doing building up a, a book on these seventeen-year-olds and making sure that you don't mess up the draft, and uh, that happens more often than not. It's, there's no exact science when it comes to drafting eighteen-year-old kids, as you well know. Yeah, well, as I, I I look back at my my draft in '79, and there was eighteen-year-olds, nineteen-year-olds, and twenty-year-olds available in that draft, and I can't even imagine. <laughs> how difficult it was for the scouts to figure out who the heck they were going to take. Right. Well, that's the lifeblood of your team. You got the better scouts, the best scouts, uh, usually end up with the best teams. You know, you've, you've got to really do your homework and it's, uh, that's the thrill. That's the part I love the most of it is uh, traveling to these rinks and scouting and watching these kids develop and making the right choices to make sure that they're, you know, you don't mess up in the draft. And we all have those that, we wish we hadn't drafted, but there are also some that you don't think much of that you take in the sixth, seventh round that turn out to be really good players, you know, and, and those make you feel good when those come, uh, uh, you know, hit hit uh, home runs with those guys. Well, well, Dale, just want to go back to where you're when you arrived in Vancouver, top pick, expansion team, lots of excitement in the city. You arrive at camp. What was going through your mind? Is it like this just kind of hits you? Is your head just kind of a bit on a swivel? And you're looking at all these guys. You mentioned a few of them, uh, you know, the guys like uh, Curtin Back and uh, Quinn. Were these guys giving you a little bit of guidance as you were going along? And like, how were you just adapting to everything that was going swirling all around you? Yeah, mostly, uh, you know, the, the quality guys would give you guidance. The guys that really, uh, you know, were going after you because you were a bonus baby in the first pick and they're going to show 
everyone and, you know, they're going to try and prove something to someone by, you know, going after you. So you expect all of that. And but, uh, I was lucky, you know, to have pros like Pat Quinn and, and Orland Curtinbeck and Boot and Doke and uh, Schmatzi and Rosie Fama and all these guys, you know, really took good care of me. And uh, they told me the pros and cons of what to do and where to go and how to, to be a pro, you know, and, and I still have great contacts and still, you know, I talked to Curtinbeck and Dennis Kearns, another great guy. Uh, you know, you, you got to take advantage of those people and, uh, you got to learn, you know, because th that first three years in Vancouver was quite a learning experience. But um, I was quite fortunate to, uh, boy, some of these pictures, uh, <laughs> what happened to my hair? That's our, that's our man, Glenn Dreyfus. He's an absolute legend at doing this stuff. And Paul Patsko. Oh, my God. I don't have any of this stuff. I need to get pay him for some of this stuff so my <laughs> kids can see it. I don't have any of this stuff. Well, There's I think Dunk Wilson, my good pal Duncan and that we played together in Oshawa for a little bit. And uh, he got me beat up a few times, Dunk, you know. <laughs> he was a tough guy. <laughs> I remember he was chopping Dave Schultz in front of the net and I was standing there and all of a sudden I had to drop the gloves with Schultz because of what Dunk was doing with the stick. And I got a good beating because of Dunk and I never let him forget it. <laughs> Now, Dale, how close of tabs are you keeping on that other guy in Buffalo that got taken just a notch? You know, I, I talk to Bert once in a while. You know, I mean, he's a great guy. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, I, I think he's a terrific person and he's a wonderful player. But I used to play in the Quebec Open on the Canadian Tour in, in Victoriaville, and he was always there. And it was great to reminisce with him and talk to him. And, um, you know, I, I got the world of respect for him. Uh, terrific, terrific person and a great player. I mean, uh, I mean, he had that wide stance. He'd go around. I mean, he, he could make you, he could make you look pretty bad. He, he had more moves. Oh yeah, he than, did uh, to a lot of guys. You know, United Van Lines. He was pretty, pretty special player. Yeah, I got the, I, I got the privilege of going to Buffalo, getting to meet him and and uh, Rick Martin, uh, Manny Robert, those guys, Danny Gare, the great, great people. And uh, obviously, great hockey players as well when they played. But uh, Jill Bear was very, very impressive. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Dale. Vancouver put you back on D. You know, we touched on this just a, a couple minutes earlier. But you'd, you know, you'd spent a lot of your career there. But would you rather have played forward? And do you think maybe moving back to D hurt your development? Because remember, as you know, coming from the executive side, defense right. would take a lot longer to develop. Well, you know, I was an offensive defenseman. Uh, defense was something I had to learn because I was, but as a forward, I was a two-way forward. I was a, a playmaking center and I was good uh, both ends of the ice. And as, going back on D, I was, I knew how to go up the ice with it. I didn't know quite where to go. <laughs> I'd tell, tell our goalie I'd see him in the bar after the game, you know, I, I kind of just went with it and I, I got a lot of points, but. I was a pretty high minus that first year. I set a record for points that year, and uh, but I didn't spend much time in my end. And <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the best best year I ever had in hockey was with uh, when I played with Keith Magnuson in Chicago, and we had a deal. I told Keith, "You don't touch the puck. Make sure no one touches me, and we'll get along really well." And so <laughs> I had my best year, and so. Uh, you know, I, I think I probably at center was my best position when I look back on it, but what are you going to do? You know, yeah. 
It's great. I have no, I have no regrets. Yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, it's very hard. To, I mean, to go from center to defense, I played center all the way up until I got to junior. And then just as the season was beginning, two of our right wingers got hurt. They said, well, can you play right wing? I said, I'll play anywhere. I don't care as long as I get to play. Right. See, that's what you're thinking when you're coming into junior or NHL, whatever the case might be. So I moved over and I was there. You know, now it's not center, left wing, or right wing. You know, it's F1, F2, F3. Yeah. So it's no, there's no set, you know, like we kind of knew what center ice's role was to forecheck and take the late guy coming back and, and to get help out in the slot and the, and the, four, and the wingers would take the defense. And, you know, that was the way it was left wing on the right shot D and right wing on the left shot D and, you know, collapse on the strong side. But now it's, there's no such thing. It's le- it's, you know, it's F1, F2, F3 and D1, D2 whoever goes in first that's the you know so it's a whole different game now and um it's not as organized but it's it's just different that's all so just going to that first year with uh vancouver i mean expectations are never high for an expansion team how was the mood in the room amongst the person i had a bunch of veterans there as you said so i'm sure they were probably you know good sort of buffers for everybody but i think if my math is correct they went through 33 players that year I mean, it's only a couple of years removed from when there was 120 players in the whole league. Right. Well, they had a big advantage, you know. When they started, they had the rights to like 69 players because of the Vancouver Canucks in the Western Hockey League. So they had a lot of guys on under under contract, uh, veteran guys, you know. And so, uh, you know, there was a huge training camp we had. And we trained six weeks in Calgary, you know. I, I had, uh, they put me with Howie Young. I roomed with Howie Young while I roomed with a suitcase. I didn't see him <laughs> for six weeks. <laughs> Imagine, you know, a 19-year-old kid ruined by himself. <laughs> and we didn't see Howie. We didn't see much of Howie Young. We only saw him at practice. <laughs> well, uh, I, yes, it's quite funny how you, you came up with that because, I mean, I remember – in Toronto several years where we went, we had 48, 49 players that played for us in a season. Like, yeah. Yeah, we always well, had 80 guys at training camp, four teams, and you scrimmage in the – Six weeks, 11 games. In the afternoon. You know, it was, it was two days for six weeks, you know. Mm-hmm. You went to training camp and, uh, you know, that great picture in the press box that made, you know, the, in Toronto and – uh, with uh, Punch Imlac with his feet up, and you know, day off tomorrow, bring your clubs yeah. to camp, you know. And if you're five or six pounds overweight, so what? <laughs> That's now that if you're not in shape when you get to camp, you're you're gone, you know. Well, I, there is a letter that I have that went around that they had to do 20 push ups, 20 sit ups, and be able to run a mile <laughs> and play golf to come to training camp. Okay, I, I could probably do that. <laughs> Today, <laughs> deal. That's there. Now, 1972, selected to Team Canada's Summit roster. Played two exhibition games, but besides the obvious, what do you recall from the series? Well, the the war against you know capitalism against communism kind of thing, you know, and all the th- things that we had to put up with over there. And you know, I, I went along for the ride. I had a blast. That was the most fun I've ever had with my clothes on. And, you know, I, I was just, it was uh, just a treat to be there. You know, I, I had a mustache for six weeks and 
I shaved it the next day after the picture and I never had one ever before, since or, you know, <laughs> anyway. We, uh, you know, I just was, I was a sponge. I was just learning and watching everybody there and, and trying to pick up as much as I could to become a better player. And I, I just happened to have a, you know, to stay and have fun and, and learn. That was my biggest goal. And then to have that happen and to be part of that is very special. Where did you watch the games from? Uh, over there in Russia, actually. Well, I was in the locker the last game I was supposed to play, and I went yeah. out for warm up. And um, uh, Dr. Chuck Bull was our doctor at the time, and I told Chuck I had a cold, so he got me some, you know, that gave me a little boost. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was running around skating around. I could have pushed the zamboni off the ice, and then <laughs> and then uh, Harry came to me and said, "We just built the both whiteys are going to play." Uh, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'll, I can't sit here. I'll go crazy. So I watched in the locker room and I in and out of the locker room. And the third period, I sat in Bobby Clark's seat. He had a rabbit's foot hang down from his, uh, this kind of a hook that was in, in front of his locker space. There weren't, it wasn't a locker room. It was like a, an old beat up locker, you know, like a space with a tub in the middle kind of thing. Yeah. And I just kind of sat there for the last game and, uh, uh, you could tell by the crowd what you know what was happening when they scored or when we scored, and so I'd rush out and rush back in, and it was a little bit uh, superstitious at the time. But the, the, the game eight, I was in the locker room mostly. So, so you know that, that's quite a. It's funny. It reminds me of a time Rick Dudley was my coach. I'm, I'm sure you played against Rick a little bit. Well, he's my coach in Buffalo, and he's he's given the guys these different. Uh, different things for performance and stuff. And he kept bugging me about trying these things. I said, I, I don't really need those reps. So anyway, one night in New Jersey, I was exhausted and I was tired. I said, Rick, do those really work? He goes, oh yeah. He says, you take one of these before warm up and then take one before the game. I said, okay, I'll try it tonight because I'm exhausted. So I took it. First shift. I go to lift the stick, catch the guy in the face, cut him. Back then, you got ejected from the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the press box and I'm wired. And I'm like, I'm walking back and forth down. <laughs> yeah. I think it was an, uh, just a Sudafed pill. You know, it was nothing. It was just off the, you know, off the, off the rack of Sudafed. You know, just made made you think it was something. It was probably baking soda. Now, as the, as the series is going along, Dale, what was your view of the officiating and what was actually going on on the ice with the other team against Canada? Well, the thing that uh, Harry, I, I mentioned in the, this interview for this book that they're doing, that Harry was the factor, changed the whole dynamic. You know, we talked about we had, the wingers were always up high checking the point men, and then the centermen mm -hmm. would help the D down low. But the Russians were so good in that big ice down low, we couldn't stop them three on three. So what Harry said was, they don't shoot the puck from the points anyway. So let's leave them alone, put the center up high, and bring the two wingers down so we could outman them down low. And that was the big turning point for me, watching it develop in the, as the series yeah. went on. They played the same way, you know, that east-west figure eight stuff. We couldn't get the puck off them when down low, and they didn't shoot the puck. So we just put the sentiment up high, and then – when we got possession, we put it right up to the center, and then the wingers would come from behind and go go wide, and that in itself, I think, turned the whole uh, series around. 
and we were we adapted and they didn't you know and then we got lucky too you know with some penalty killing and some questionable you know i mean we we're shorthanded for most of those last three games but uh, I think it was sheer will and determination and heart and uh, improv improvising and, uh, you know, just wanting it a little bit more than, because they emotionally were just like, you know, uh, level. And, and they played the same way every shift of every game. They didn't alter anything. Yeah. They had 20 guys who were all the same. You know, you couldn't tell one from the other. The 20 best players you've ever seen. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I, I, now the, the final question on that part, I guess we could always go on about that was, but did any idea in your mind that this would take the life of its own that it did and become so iconic in the history of hockey? No, not at all. I mean, we were hated when we left Sweden by every country <laughs> yeah. in Canada. And then when we got back from Russia, you know, we also stopped and played in Prague against the Czech team, which is every bit as good as the Russians. And we, we ended up having a hell of a game there. And then we flew home on a charter DC-8 and we landed in Montreal and all those people were there were on fire trucks driving around. And then when we landed in Toronto to see a million plus people on the uh, Queenie and, and then at City Hall, it was nuts. I mean, what happened? You know, and all of a sudden, uh, and then as, as it's gone on, it's just taken the life of its own. It's been fantastic. You know, it's been golf tournaments and charity functions and all these things and all these stories that we're rehashing and, embellishing as we go along but it's uh it's going to be exciting september is 50 years already 50 years yeah. 50 wow. years well I, let's go back to the nhl now but uh, after three years the dreaded words players don't like you or maybe you're a part of this was you've been traded and i'm sure you gave those words times over your career how'd you end up in chicago leaving vancouver things weren't going so well well, I didn't see a future in Vancouver. You know, they weren't sure where I should play. And then the ownership, there was a big issue with this uh, Medicare Corporation in Minneapolis. And uh, there was a big ownership fight in Vancouver. Things weren't going very well. Bud Poyle got sick. Uh, Bud was my first GM and was really a good man. And I respected him, but he got sick. And then they had all kinds of regime changes. So the WHA had come along and um, I had an opportunity to go play in the WHA or uh, get traded to another team. And then after my experience with Team Canada, as I told you about Dennis Hall and Bill yep. White and Stapleton and, and Makita, and so um, I ended up getting traded to the Blackhawks, and I was excited about that because I love Chicago. And, uh, you know, I went there from there, and, uh, you know, it was a, a – you know, it's my home, Chicago, really. I've always – since 1973, yeah. I love that city. I love everything about it. Even uh, today when it's not so great right now, but I still love it. I think there's a great future there as well. But, um, you know, that's where I make my, you know, I'm in Florida for the winter and, and the majority of the, but I'll go back to Chicago uh, every summer anyway. Now, did they give you the option to, to leave or did you ask to be traded or they just trade you? I asked to be traded uh, in, in Vancouver. Yes. Is it a w? I mean, they're going to jump to the WHA if you don't trade me because I'm not going to stay here. And that's what happened. Yep. Now, things weren't going so well for you in Vancouver. Now, you arrive in Chicago. Now, <laughs> did anybody in that organization even read a newspaper at any given time to know that <laughs> this kid was having some problems? We bring him into Chicago. The most, One of the most iconic figures in our team history just leaves for the WHA, and we give him his number, this new kid, number nine. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, there's, there's Mr. Ivan. You know, <laughs> 
somebody in the PR office had a brilliant idea. They were mad at Bobby for jumping. And uh, they said, well, this kid wore number nine in Vancouver. Let's give him number nine. Oh, okay. So the first press conference at this press conference where this picture was taken, uh, I said, this is great. There are two things missing. I said, a decimal point in front of the number and 40 pounds of muscle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, I don't want this number. You know, I didn't say it there, but right after that press conference, I told Tommy, Ivan, and Billy Ray, I said, I don't, I'm not wearing that number. Oh, no, you have to. So now they're pissed at me for not wanting it. So I went to back to the Orwalton camp and Bobby and I said, what are you doing? You can't wear that. I said, I'm not going to wear that number. So I go to training camp and there it is, number nine. And uh, we go to we go to Notre Dame to play an exhibition game, yeah. squad game against Dallas, our farm team. So they had, you know, two. And I walk on, I get, get on the ice wearing this number nine. And like, there were only like 2,500 people in that. They had the worst rink in hockey at that time. Now they have a nice facility. And uh, like, I thought my nickname was Moose, right? They're booing the crap out of me. It's, you know, I, said, <laughs> I, I can't do this. This is crazy. <laughs> so I, I told them I don't want the number. And uh, now they were upset with me. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was, come on. You know, wake up for crying out loud. So I was the good trivia question is who's the last guy wearing number nine in Chicago? That's right. The you know, <laughs> <laughs> he went a lot of money in the bar in this one, especially <laughs> in the East Coast. But uh, what, what that was that was yeah exactly. Who the hell is bright idea was that? Well, I got to say that was definitely they weren't thinking with their no. real thoughts on that that they day. Whoever made that best call. interest. <laughs> uh, funny, you know what? So that's the way it goes. The exact same thing happened to me. I go to Chicago. Uh, Gary Nyland has 22, which is the number I've worn all the way up to here and everything. But he wouldn't give it to me. So I said, okay, I'll wear 44. Holy comes in and goes, uh, you can't wear 44. Uh, <laughs> we just made a big trade. And, uh, to bring more attention to me. I go, holy, it's a goddamn number. It's on my back. It's not on the front. So it's not going to change the way I play. But he wouldn't let me wear it. Yeah. So I ended up wearing 27. He liked that a lot. <laughs>